But first up on the show today, we're going to dive into a little bit of history. A new book revives the events that led to one of the strongest victories for workers' rights in the United States during one bitterly cold winter in Flint, Michigan. Midnight in Vehicle City, General Motors, Flint, and the strike that created the middle class tells the horrific details of working conditions at a GM plant in 1936 that led line workers to occupy the auto factory for nearly two months, eventually winning the right to unionize. It was the birth of the United Auto Workers and set the standard for wages and birthed the American middle class. I got to speak with author and historian Edward McClelland about why the story of the Flint sit-down strike is in danger of being forgotten and why it also may be more relevant today than ever before. Well, you know, there was another book about this that was written in 1969. It was called Sit Down by Sidney Fine. He was a professor at the University of Michigan. And, uh, you know, that was at such a different time in the history of the union movement and Flint and the middle class and the auto industry. And I think it was it was taken for granted at, at that time. You know, that, that was at a moment of just unprecedented equality uh, in America that that the victories of the sit down strikers were were permanent um, and that their that their greatest legacy had been, in, you know, contributing to the sit down movements of of the, the civil rights era. But, you know, we found in the 50 years that have passed that they're uh, that they're not permanent. I mean, we're back to the same level of inequality we were at before the the sit down strike happened. And, uh, you know, a, an auto making job is not the birthright. Uh, that it was for a young man or a young woman in Michigan in, in 1969. So, uh, I, you know, I wanted to write about, you know, where, where the middle class came from and what we might have to do to, to revive it. And I've just recently seen that there's this the union organizing movement at the um, Amazon warehouse in Alabama. What they want is just it's just amazing how similar it is to what the sit down strikers wanted. You know, the sit down strikers objected to, you know, the speed up on the assembly line. And these these workers at Amazon object to, you know, it's just inhumane, impossible to meet quotas. You know, they want more uh, job security. The sit down strikers wanted job security before before the sit down strike. Uh, the foreman could fire you for any reason and put his brother in law on your job. And, you know, workers had to bring food to their foreman and they had to paint his house or they had to throw him a party and look the other way if he you know, goosed his wife. Uh, and. They, then they want more say in the workplace. So you, you, I, what someone who was with UAW told me was that it wasn't about money. It, it was about dignity. And I, I think you still see workers looking for that today. I think a lot of people don't really know the history of what happened on this 44-day sit-down sit strike in Flint and exactly how extreme these workers had to go to gain that respect. They were making industrial parts from the factory into makeshift weapons. Uh, They were sleeping there for days and days. It was in January and February of of 1937, you know, the coldest time of the year in in Michigan. And and one of the chapters is about the battle of the of the running bulls, which was a famous confrontation between the strikers and the Flint police. the, at first, the police shut off the first. The company shut off the heat when it was 16 degrees out, and then the the police attacked the plant, you know, with tear gas. And as you said, you know, they the strikers had, you know, they had hinges and they were throwing milk bottles. 
spraying the police with fire hoses to repel them and the police retreated, but they, they started shooting and they, they wounded, I think 14, 14 strikers. So these guys were putting their, their lives on the line. Uh, not this, the guys, the women, uh, the women's emergency brigade, which I write about, uh, this was, you know, women, there, there were women working in the plant, but they were told to leave as soon as it's a sit down strike started because, you know, the strikers didn't want any rumors about what might be going on, uh, between men and women, uh, in the plant. But they, they, the women uh, organized what they called a women's emergency brigade, which was a paramilitary outfit to support the strikers. And then they marched uh, in between the strikers and the police because they said, well, they're not going to they're not going to shoot at women. But they would they would carry around uh, billy clubs under their long coats, too. And, and at, at one point when uh, the GM security uh, attacked uh, Chevy four with tear gas, they broke out the windows so the gas could escape. Everybody was putting their lives on the line for the for the cause in Flint during the sit-down strike. Yeah, I, I don't think unless you've read into this history that how violent and how how dangerous it was for workers to try to unionize, but also how difficult the working conditions in the plant were. I started the book by talking about the heat wave in 1936, and the temperature got up to, I think, 108 degrees in Flint, which was an all-time high, and you know workers were were feigning on the on the lines because you know, there was no air conditioning, there were no fans, and they would they would just drag them off and, and keep the keep the assembly lines running. And uh, they, you know, I talked about a worker who uh, lost an eye and he had to go to the state. He kept working because you know there was no insurance for that kind of thing. He had to go to the state to get eighteen hundred dollars for his eye. And you know, with the speed up, the men would just come home so exhausted. Uh, at the at the end of the day, they just couldn't could barely lift a fork to their mouths, and they, you know they were just grouchy toward their wives and children, or they would you know they would go to the beer garden and and, and drink drink away the 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 stress of uh, of of working on the assembly line. So yeah, I mean it was uh, you know there was a depression on. So you know if if you couldn't cut it, they point out the window and say, look, there's another there's a whole line of guys uh, who want your job. In your book, you talk about the the governor at the time uh, in, in right. 1936 of Michigan, Frank Murphy, was was actually very sympathetic too. Well, they tried to time the beginning of the strike to his inauguration. You know, it ended up happening a couple of days, uh, two days earlier. But uh, after the Battle of the Running Bulls, Frank Murphy, you know, he was the New Deal governor of of Michigan. He was a an ally and a protege of Franklin D. Roosevelt. He sent the National Guard to Flint, and he could have legally sent the National Guard to Flint to enforce uh, a court order uh, to oust the strikers that the GM had an injunction. Uh, but he said, no, I just, I'm sending you there to keep the peace. You get between the strikers and uh, the police and the plants and make sure there's no more violence. And then uh, Frances Perkins, she was the secretary of labor. She played a big role in um in solving the strike. She, she tried to get the GM chairman Alfred P. Sloan uh, to sit down and negotiate. And he, you know, he refused and, and they have a, uh, they had quite uh, an encounter. They had quite an argument, which, which I recounted in the book, you know, and she, after he refused to uh, keep his word to negotiate, she called him a rotter and told him he was going to go straight to hell, no matter how much money he had. And he said, you can't talk to me like that. I've got $70 million. 
Uh, but in, and Franklin D. Roosevelt finally had to make a call to General Motors executives to get them to sit down in Detroit uh, with Governor Murphy and finally hammer out this, the settlement of the sit-down strike, which you know recognized the UAW as the bargaining agent and all the plants uh, that were affected by the strike. So, and so that really, a- after that, the UAW started building membership everywhere. People saw that victory. And the UAW really kind of became, it became the flagship union in the United States. Uh, the UAW, you know, set the wages and, and set the benefits for industrial workers uh, all over the country. And, you know, they finally, finally got to the point, there was a strike in 1970. That's when they got what everybody in Detroit knows this one, 30 and out. You work 30 years and you get to retire on, on full benefits. This sit-down strike was a new tactic. For workers at that time, right? Not How entirely. You, I mean, no? they, 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 there had been sit-down strikes in other parts of the world. And in France, there was a sit-down strike. There had been sit-down strikes before uh, in, in the United States. So, so it had been tested, but this was certainly the most famous and sit-down strike and the one with the most far-reaching uh, consequences. It caught General Motors officials off guard, right? Because they were not right. expecting workers to, to stay there and occupy the plant. Yeah, I mean, it's much more effective than, than leaving the plant picketing because when you do that, then the, the company can bring scabs in to, to keep the machinery running. And of course, they, they targeted Flint because uh, Fisher One produced dyes that stamped out body parts that were used in cars uh, all over the country. And then Chevy Four, which they captured uh, about a month into the sit-down strike, uh, that produced engines that were used in GM cars all over the country. So once they had those plants in Flint, GM couldn't make any cars anywhere. And that really forced them to the negotiating table. Through the book, you you have all these really wonderful anecdotal accounts uh, through the viewpoint of Flint, Michigan, once was at the forefront of shaping the middle class in the United States and was at the forefront of fair wages for workers. Now Flint, Michigan is and will for a long time be associated with the the, the poisoning of its water, uh, with lead, uh, high, high poverty rates. Uh, What did you uncover in your book that that, that kind of paints the psychology behind where Flint was before and, you know, where where it is now? Well, uh, you know, I had the statistic that in 1980, um, Flint had the highest wages for young workers in in the whole country because of the good auto wages. And I think there were... Uh, 70 or 80,000 GM workers in the, in the Flint area in the late 1970s. And now there are 6,500, you know, and Flint was really, you know, it was really a one horsepower town. Uh, it was completely dependent uh, on General Motors. And, you know, once General Motors started to decline and once hourly, you know, the, the, the number of hourly workers in General Motors is 10% what it was maybe uh, 40 or 45 years ago. And that's, you know, that you've seen the same same decline in Flint. And, you know, once that happened, the economy of the whole city uh, really collapsed to the point where Governor Snyder imposed an emergency manager on its finances who uh, decide, made, the, made the decision to take it out of the Detroit water system and start taking water from the, the Flint River. So I'm from Lansing and Lansing has we had a lot of GM employment, but we also had the state capital. We, we had the campus, but Flint, Flint didn't have anything else. Flint put, really put all its eggs in one basket. While you were researching and writing this book, what did you find that, that 
surprised you? Um, what did I find that surprised? Well, I, I'm probably the you know the indignities and the the difficult working uh, conditions that the workers had to go through. I mean, I was very fortunate in the late '70s and early '80s. Uh, some researchers at uh, U of M Flint uh, conducted a series of oral histories of sit-down strikers. And some of those are online at the Flint Labor History Project, but a lot of them are just in files in boxes at the U of M Flint Library. And I, but I went through all, all of them. And so I was able to, in, in a, a lot of cases, tell the story through the voices of the strikers. And of course, they're all gone now. I, I knew one of the last sit down strikers. He was a family friend of ours, Everett Ketchum. He died at age 98 in 2013. Uh, and I guess that's another reason I wanted to write the book was because all the strikers were dead, but the story still needs to be needs to be told. What are the lessons we need to take away from the sit-down strike of 1936 and working conditions today? Well, I, I think that, you know, when the government takes the side of working people, their movements can succeed. I mean, the sit-down strike owed a lot to the, to the support of Frank Murphy and Francis Perkins and Franklin D. Roosevelt. And, you know, I think we've had a, in the last 40 years, a government that, that hasn't been on the side of the labor movement and in a lot of cases has been antagonistic and you know i guess also what what working people can accomplish when they stand up for their rights and and say you know we we work here uh we have a right to be here we have a right to occupy this place we're not trespassing and and you know we have a right to better treatment uh in our workplace His latest book, Midnight in Vehicle City, General Motors, Flint, and the Strike that Created the Middle Class, is out now. And you can join him for several virtual book talks that are going to be happening coming up. Uh, one on March 1st with Michigan State University at the Old Museum Lecture Series. And another one with the Flint Public Library on March 4th. You are listening to Culture Shift here on 1019 WDET. Coming up on the show in about five minutes or so, it's time for Sam's Jams with WDET's own Sam Bobian. And this week he's bringing us a really excellent, eclectic mix of deep cut jazz. You're going to love it coming up here on 1019 WDET. We'll do the roundup just after this.